coral reefs are dying all around the world. So we've actually lost more than 30% of the world's reefs since the 1970s. We're projected to lose 75% by 2050, which is pretty mind-blowing to think about one of the most incredible, wondrous ecosystems on the planet vanishing before our eyes. And it's not just some prediction for the future, but something we're already seeing happen. This is Groundbreakers, a show about social entrepreneurs and the innovation they lead. Welcome to another episode of Groundbreakers Podcast. I'm your host, Sebastian DeBurz, and welcome Sam Teicher. Good to be here. The Chief Reef Officer of Coral Vita. Chief Reef on the mic. <laughs> welcome, and, and, and thanks for coming here on the show. Um, I'm, I want to ask you, what's the story behind Coral Vita? Coral Vita is a company I founded with my friend Gator Halpern, and our mission is to grow corals to restore dying reefs. So you and many of your listeners may have heard or may not uh, that coral reefs are dying all around the world. So we've actually lost more than 30% of the world's reefs since the 1970s. And we're projected to lose 75% by 2050, which is pretty mind-blowing to think about you know, one of the most incredible, wondrous ecosystems on the planet vanishing before our eyes. And it's not just some prediction for the future, but something we're already seeing happen past few years, one of the big stories was that up to half the Great Barrier Reef bleached and died because of spikes in ocean temperature. So what we're doing is creating a global network of coral farms where we can work with local communities and local species of corals and grow them in our farms, train them to be more resilient to threats such as warming and acidifying oceans, grow them up to 50 times faster, and then sell the service of reef restoration to all the customers that depend on the benefits reefs produce around the world. Wow, so there's a, and, and is this is a for-profit social enterprise? Yes, it is. So how does this really work? It's uh, definitely a, a new take on reef restoration. So the practice has been done uh, for the past 20 or so years. There's a, too many people around the world who deserve a ton of credit for leading the way in the space of coral farming. Largely, the projects have been small scale, and grant funded with these sort of underwater gardens, if you listeners can kind of imagine that, where corals are grown like fragments, uh, like a cutting that's taken from a flower or tree and then planted. These fragments are collected from reefs and then raised in these underwater farms. And I actually, between college and grad school, went out to the country of Mauritius in the Indian Ocean, and I helped set up the environmental branch of my friend's NGO, Eli Africa. And one of the projects we got going was a UN-funded coral farm in partnership with the Mauritius Oceanography Institute. And it was a very similar setup. And on many levels, it was absolutely incredible uh, to see reefs come back to life. We had fishermen setting up their traps 100 yards away from what had once been a barren lagoon because there were so many more fish. What was also clear, though, was that this current model, the one I described, small-scale, grant-funded, one-off underwater farms, isn't going to cut it for the scope of the problem. I touched on before, 75% of reefs dead by 2050. So with that whole aspect, there's only so much grant funding that's out there. It's pretty difficult to obtain, and it usually runs out 
which is what happened with our project too. So Gator and I, we met in grad school at the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. And we both had a, a deep desire to solve one of the most pressing environmental challenges uh, facing the world today. And we coalesced around a shared passion uh, for the ocean and my experience with coral farming and thought, why don't we try and create a company around this? Why don't we try and create a model that can deliver large scale reef restoration results and that's financially sustainable. So the basic gist is through tourism, fisheries and coastal protection, reefs generate conservatively $30 billion a year. Wow, $30 billion a year? $30 billion a year. And they're disappearing at a rate of, at by, by 2050 you said 75% will be gone. Which for me is a, a total ecological tragedy. I grew up diving since I was a kid. I love the reefs, I love the ocean. But putting aside that, you know, just ecosystem loss and the loss of all this incredible biodiversity, you've got all that revenue that's generated, coastlines that are protected, families, communities, nations who are fed from the fish that depend on coral reefs or habitats. And there's up to a billion people around the world together with 25% of all marine life in the ocean that depends on reefs. So they die, this is a serious crisis. So our thought is that we'll get the hotels, governments, reinsurance industry, coastal property owners, mitigation banks, you keep going down that list, to pay Coral Vita to restore reefs so that we can have a sustainable source of financing to do really big projects where we're not only growing you know, a few hundred corals, but hundreds of thousands of corals from each farm. And then the, the farms themselves also become tourism attractions. So people who are visiting these countries can sort of come pay to visit our farms, see what's happening, learn about what's going on with the reefs, plant corals with us, together with local communities where school children um, can come through and really build in local communities to our projects. This is amazing. And how do you grow coral? or How do you revive dead coral? So what we'll do is we'll go out uh, in the country that we're working in, using existing data, our own surveys, working with local scientists and partners, survey reef health and determine, you know, one, what locations are right for restoration. Um, the truth is that the best thing to do would actually not to be to hire us, it would be stop killing reefs in the first place. Pollution, overfishing, coastal development, and then climate change are some of the biggest killers of reefs right now. And we actually had a hotel approach us, thought, oh, this would be a great draw for our, our tourists. They'll come, they'll have a, a reef right off the shore. But next to the beach was a river and upstream was a textile factory. And there ain't a thing we can do about those corals. So we'll, we'll first figure out which reefs have the right water quality conditions for restoration. And then we'll go out and actually collect the corals. So you either basically pick up corals that are still alive, but maybe they've been broken off from storms. They've been sort of ripped out of the seabed. Those are known as corals of opportunity. And then there's a standard sort of best practice in the restoration community that if you need to, you can take cuttings from corals. Again, like you could take from a, a tree or a bush, um, about 10% of the coral colony. And then we bring those to our farms. And those farms are on land, kind of like an aquaculture facility. So if you imagine these four foot by eight foot tanks, uh, we're pumping seawater through them, and then the corals grow in those tanks, uh, depending on their species, for 6, 12, 18 months until we then go out and plant them, install them back out in the reefs to help bring that reef health back to life. Doesn't coral take, you know, thousands of years to, to slowly evolve over time? How can you speed up or accelerate that process in such a short amount of time? How does that work? 
Yeah, there's some slow growing corals out there. Um, but we're really excited to be working with some of the world's leading coral scientists. Uh, one of whom is Dr. David Vaughn. And he's at the Moat Marine Lab, we recently signed an MOU with. And Dr. Vaughn sort of realized that there's a method you can use to accelerate coral growth rates. It's called microfragmenting. And we can now grow corals up to 50 times faster than they naturally grow. And that translates into months rather than decades. And, you know, we often get asked, you know, what are we doing any GMOs? Are we sprinkling any, you know, magic fairy dust on there, pumping them with steroids? And it's actually using a natural healing process from within the corals themselves. So what we'll basically do, corals are made up of these individual polyps. Um, that's like there's all these different mouths that form together the, the coral that you normally see when you're out on the reef. And you cut up the corals by these individual polyps, you space them apart. And almost like thinking about muscle breaking down to actually build out more, the corals look for their neighbors and then fuse back into themselves. So now these corals, like you said, that could take decades if not longer to reach the size of a dinner plate, we can now grow in around a year. That's incredible. This is a how, it is incredible. How new is this technology? Uh, it's something that's been around a bit in the aquarium space, but Dr. Vaughn sort of had this eureka moment regarding reef restoration in it. I believe it was in 2014, or at least that's when we saw an article published in the New York Times while Gator and I were in grad school and we're sort of developing the, the model, the idea for the company in a class in business school. And we're like, we gotta go down and meet this guy. So we actually had a limited little tiny grant. We had nothing in our pockets, but this thousand dollar grant from the Yale Entrepreneurial Institute. And when it was just this sort of idea we had in class, we flew down to the Florida Keys and we approached Dr. Vaughn and told him what we were trying to do. And he was really excited about our vision and um, agreed to sort of come on as a, a bit of an advisor for us and to us sort of try and take his methods and work and bring it out to the world. So together with the Moat Marine Lab, we're also working with Dr. Ruth Gates out of the Hawaii Institute of Marine Biology. And Dr. Gates and her research partners are at the forefront of this field known as assisted evolution. And basically things are so bad with corals that some of the, the best scientists in the world are now trying to figure out how do we help them survive. So Dr. Gates is actually the president of the International Society of Reef Studies, and she got a multi-million dollar research grant from Vulcan Inc., which is Paul Allen's uh, institute, to basically look into methods to strengthen the resiliency of corals to the climate change threats, the warming and acidifying oceans that are already killing corals. Now, a lot of this research is still ongoing and yet to be proven, but we know one of the things we can do uh, it's an advantage offered by us doing these you know, new, innovative land-based farms as, as opposed to the traditional ocean-based farms, is we control the growing conditions. So those tanks I described before, seawater's pumping through, corals are growing in there. As they're also growing faster, we can look at scientific projections for, say, temperature in the location that we're working in and gradually modify them in our tanks and effectively acclimatize the corals two future oceans, they get a feeling of like, oh, okay, I, I've been in a jacuzzi before. And so as things heat up, when they get outplanted, they actually have been shown to survive better uh, with these sort of methods. The Moat Marine Lab also does this too. And it's really important because we often get asked, well, what's, what's gonna happen to your corals? You know, they're dying, you're gonna outplant them. Um, what's the point? So for us, we're able to grow them faster, um, which integrates more species diversity as well as makes it much more cost-effective while also strengthening you know, their ability to survive. So altogether, 
know, harder, better, faster, stronger, and then go outplant those corals. And literally the sort of the final element, which I touched on briefly before, there's a number of different ways of actually installing the corals into the reef. But one of the simplest ways is if there's the existing sort of rock um, limestone structure that was left behind by reefs um, before they died, you just go down with an underwater drill, drill holes into the rock, put a two-part epoxy glue on the end of the coral and plug it right in. And then it, it does its own thing and grows from there and you start seeing the whole reef with the, you know, all the fish and corresponding biodiversity come back to life with the corals. What was it like for you to see coral come back to life? It's astounding and inspiring and hopeful and also tragic. Um, I, I often say I, I shouldn't have to start this company at all. No one should be working on coral reef restoration. It blows my mind. I mean, let alone all the other environmental problems that are out there. And there's plenty of things I want to work on that aren't even related to climate change and the environment. But to start a company to prevent coral reefs from vanishing is not a sentence I should be saying. Um, so while it, it is absolutely incredible to see a reef come back to life and know that if the conditions are right and we do it the right way, we work with the right people, local communities who depend most on the reefs, governments, financiers, activists, the whole sort of pool of, of stakeholders, um, and that that reef can come back to life, it also really puts a fire behind everything that we're doing that we gotta figure this out and gotta do it right away. Because we hopefully will get put out of business. I hope there's never a reef we need to restore, but given the state of the things and how things are deteriorating, that's not gonna happen anytime soon. Yeah, because time is not on your side, is it? No, I don't think anyone would have guessed that half the Great Barrier Reef would perish not just in our lifetimes, you know, 2014. We're not talking about a big time span. And people have been predicting for years that climate change would devastate coral reefs. And they've been proven right time and time again, a, a global bleaching event. When the temperatures spike, basically the corals have this symbiotic algae living inside of them. That's what gives them the color. It photosynthesizes food for them. It helps them eat and live but kind of like a white blood cell attacking, you know, its host trying to figure out when it gets sick, the temperatures rise, corals, you imagine it's almost like they have a fever and they kick out the, the algae thinking that might be making them feel bad. And that's when the corals turn white, their skeletons get exposed. And if the temperatures don't go back to normal conditions in enough time, the algae don't come back, the corals starve to death and die. So that's what we're basically seeing. And, and a global bleaching event has often been described as almost like a 100 year flood. It's something that if it happens once every 100 years. And since 1998, I think we're on four or five maybe that have happened. Um, so time is not on our side. And again, the best thing possible is to stop killing corals in the first place, which is why governments, industry leaders, anyone with power um, and capability needs to implement measures to stop the march of man-made climate change. In the meantime, though, we got to ramp up operations to get as many corals out in the water as possible so that when we figure out how to cut carbon emissions and stop overfishing and pollution and, 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 those reefs will still be alive um, for future generations. So Sam, what was the first time you saw coral? In the wild, I was 13 years old. My dad had been a diver since the 70s, 
And when my brother and I were kids on some family vacation, we saw him disappear beneath the waves and we're like, why can't we do that? So my brother's four years older and he got certified first. And then when I was old enough, I got it as soon as I was you know, at the, the right age level. And I immediately fell in love. Uh, it's my favorite thing to do. I feel like it's the closest thing most of us will ever get to being astronauts. Kind of got the zero G vibe. You're breathing in a place you're not supposed to and you're seeing what feels like alien life, but is it's here on Earth. And, and most, most of Earth is ocean, and most of the life is in the sea. So you really get to just see some cool, cool is really just the best word to describe it, cool things down there. So that's where I had this lifelong love for the ocean from. I wasn't always gonna be an environmental guy. I loved to go hiking in the Shenandoah with my family and flip over logs and check out bugs when I was a kid. But I actually was first interested in education reform coming from DC public schools. I had a great experience there, but also knew that a lot of kids and classmates deserved better education. Uh, and then actually growing up here in DC, my dad had been a diplomat and I had a lifelong love for military history, thought I was gonna go into um, peacemaking and sort of international security. And then I kind of saw how climate change and environmental degradation was impacting all the things I care about and that I had 18 different interests and I couldn't narrow it down, so focused in on climate change. And then I mentioned that I went out to Mauritius and had that experience doing coral farming and other environmental work there. Again, still was in sort of the NGO or maybe policy space and saw that one of the gaps, at least for me, in my education and just life experiences was in sort of the private sector. So when I got to the School of Forestry, I decided to sort of focus a lot of my studies on called business and the environment. Took classes at the business school and the school of forestry um, and try to sort of beef up my own knowledge, but then also started thinking on the entrepreneurial side of things where academics and the public sector and NGOs might not have been able to develop the best solutions. And so it was in that capacity, in that space, that I sort of really started wrapping out with Gator. We became friends one of the first days uh, of school. We met in orientation, big lawn, marsh lawn. Everyone's sort of milling about. I was like, I heard this guy named Gator. I gotta go. I gotta go meet this guy. This is in the lawn at Yale, and somehow this this guy with the name Gator yeah. uh, was already kind of had a bit of reputation for his name or something. Or how did he? He, we all sort of went around introducing ourselves, and I was just like, I I gotta at least talk to him. I mean, that's gonna be a fun conversation. And we quickly developed a friendship. And uh, there was a class at the business school a few months later that was taking applications to develop an entrepreneurial business plan. And actually the first go, it wasn't Coral Vita, and the name wasn't Coral Vita for several years. A lot of iterations on that. But uh, we had an idea that actually got rejected um, for that class, but we still thought about what were the, the problems that mattered, the issues that mattered also, not just to the world, but to us, and that we thought we could maybe develop an entrepreneurial solution around. And Gator Group in San Diego, um, you know, playing in the waves. So also had this deep connection for his whole life to the sea. And he heard about my experience with Eli Africa and coral restoration. And I had been at, at that time in Mauritius thinking about how can we do this bigger and better? And it sort of this natural synergy emerged. And so we then reapplied um, to that class at the business school and also sort of developed something for a, a prize competition at Yale, which again, we didn't get but that kind of led to the origin of Coral Vita.
If you want to tell us your story or nominate a groundbreaker, visit our website at www.groundbreakerspodcast.com and make sure to subscribe on whatever medium you're using to listen to this podcast. Our show this week was produced by Anna Batson, and thank you so much for listening. I'm Sebastian DeBurs, and this is Groundbreakers, the story of social entrepreneurship.